All right, fellow fact checkers. Now, before we start the show, I want to remind you to head over and check out our great sponsor, Fox and Son Coffee. Uh, they've got an amazing deal with all kinds of blends going on. So head over there and check it out. You can get the Mexican honey prep, the Brazilian honey prep, the Guatemalan, the Ethiopian. They'll be adding new roasts regularly. So be sure to check in and see what new flavors Steve has got over at Fox and Son Coffee. They've also got all of your usual favorites, the Den Blend Dark, the Den Blend Light, and the one that we personally like around the house since uh, we can't seem to agree on which of the light or the dark is better for both me and the wife, the Den Blend Tube Electric Boogaloo, which is the medium roast. So be sure to use the checkout code FCT for fact check this at checkout, and that'll get you an 18% discount on any order of $25 or more. Also, any order of $37.99 or more gets you free shipping. Load up on all the greatest coffee on the market, and you can thank me later. Well, let's start the show. This episode will be completely taken out of context. Welcome to the Fact Check This Podcast. Fact Check This Podcast, and this week's episodes are taking articles from the New York Times and from CNN, respectively. And we're going to kind of look at uh, similar topics, but different perspectives. And then there will also be a bonus on Friday um, with some follow-up on some South America stuff. Uh, I had teased that a couple weeks ago, and then it didn't work out to do it that week, and then uh, it just hasn't worked out to do it since. So that'll be a bonus this upcoming Friday. So stay tuned for that as well. But today, we're going to take a look first at a New York Times article that the the headline is what really caught my attention. And then the article itself is uh, interesting in and of itself. Sorry. What if we're the bad guys here? about time you started to acknowledge that. Not that the rest of the world hasn't already figured it out, but <clears throat> here we are. Donald Trump seems to get indicted on a weekly basis, yet he is utterly dominating his Republican rivals in the polls, and he is tied with Joe Biden in the general election surveys. Trump's poll numbers are stronger against Biden now than at any time in 2020. What's going on here? Why is this guy still politically viable after all he's done? Well, number one, because he hasn't actually done anything, but number two, well, you're going to get to that. We anti-Trumpers often tell a story to explain that. It was encapsulated in a quote the University of North Carolina political scientist Mark Hetherington gave to my colleague Thomas B. Edsel recently. Republicans see a world changing around them uncomfortably fast, and they want it to slow down, maybe even take a step backward. But if you're a person of color, a woman who values gender equality, or an LGBT person, you want it to do you uh, would you want it to go back to 1963? I doubt it. In this story, we anti-Trumpers are the good guys, the forces of progress and enlightenment. The Trumpers are reactionary bigots and authoritarians. Many Republicans support Trump no matter what, according to this story, because at the end of the day, he's still the bigot in chief, the embodiment of their rep of their resentments, and that's what matters to them most. I partly agree with this story, but it's also a monument to elite self-satisfaction. So let me try another story on you. 
I ask you to try on a vantage point in which we anti-Trumpers are not the eternal good guys. In fact, we're the bad guys. You are. I'm glad you're, you're willing to admit it. This story begins in the 1960s when high school grads had to go off to fight in Vietnam, but the children of the educated class got college deferments. It continues in the 1970s when the authorities imposed busing on working class areas in Boston, but not on the upscale communities like Wellesley, where they lived themselves. The ideal that we're all in this together was replaced with the reality that the educated class lives in a world up here and everybody else is forced into a world down there. Members of our class are always publicly speaking out for the marginalized, but somehow we always end up building systems that serve ourselves. The most important of these, those systems is the modern meritocracy. We built an entire social order that sorts and excludes people on the basis of the quality of what we possess most. Academic achievement. Highly educated parents go to elite schools, marry each other, work at high-paying professional jobs, and pour enormous resources into our children, who get into the same elite schools, marry each other, and pass their exclusive class privileges down from generation to generation. Daniel Markovitz summarized years of research in his book, The Meritocracy Trap. Today, middle-class children lose out to the rich children at school. The middle-class adults lose out to the elite graduates at work. Meritocracy blocks the middle class from opportunity. Then it blames those who lose a competition for income and status that, even when everyone plays by the same rules, only the rich can win. The meritocracy isn't only a system of exclusion, it's an ethos. During his presidency, Barack Obama used the word smart in the context of his policies over 900 times. The implication was that anyone who disagreed with his policies and perhaps didn't go to Harvard Law must be stupid. Over the last decades, we've taken over whole professions and locked everybody else out. When I began my journal journalism career in Chicago in the 1980s, there were still some old, crusty, working-class guys around the newsroom. Now, we're not only a college-dominated profession, we're an elite college-dominated profession. Only 0.8% of college students graduate from the super elite 12 schools, the Ivy League colleges plus Stanford, MIT, Duke, and the University of Chicago. A 2018 study found that more than 50% of the staff writers at the beloved New York Times and Wall Street Journal attended one of the 29 most elite universities in the nation. Writing in Compact Magazine, Michael Lind observes that the upper middle class job market looks like a candelabrum. Those who manage to squeeze through the stem of a few prestigious colleges and universities in their youth can then branch out to fill leadership positions in almost every vocation. Or, as Markovitz puts it, the elite graduates monopolize the best jobs and at the same time invent new technologies that privilege super-skilled workers, making the best jobs better and all other jobs worse. Members of our class also segregate ourselves into a few booming metro areas, San Francisco, DC, Austin, and so on. In 2020, Biden only won, or Biden won only 500 or so counties, but together they are responsible for 71% of the American economy. Trump won over 2,500 counties, responsible for 29%. Once we find our cliques, we don't get out much. In the book Social Class in the 21st Century, the sociologist Mike Savage and his co-researchers found that the members of the highly educated class tend to be the most insular, measured by how often we have contact with those who have jobs unlike our own. 
Armed with all kinds of economic, cultural, and political power, we support policies that help ourselves. Free trade markets and products we buy cheaper, and our jobs are unlikely to be moved to China. Open immigration makes our service staff cheaper, but new, less educated immigrants aren't likely to put downward pressure on our wages. Like all elites, we we use language and mores as tools to recognize one another and exclude others. Words like problematic, cisgender, Latinx, and intersectional is a sure sign that you've got cultural capital coming out of your ears. Meanwhile, members of the less educated classes have to walk on eggshells because they never know when we've changed the usage rules so that something that was sayable five years ago now gets you fired. We also change the moral norms in ways that suit ourselves, never mind the cost to others. For example, there used to be a norm that discouraged people from having children outside of marriage, but that got washed away during our period of cultural dominance as we eroded norms that seemed judgmental or that might inhibit individual freedom. After this social norm was eroded, the funny thing happened. Members of our class still overwhelmingly married and had children within wedlock. People without our resources, unsupported by social norms, were less able to do that. As Adrian Wooldridge points out in his magister magisterial 2021 book, The Aristocracy of Talent, 60% of births to women with only a high school certificate occur out of wedlocks, compared with only 10% to women with a university degree. That matters, he continues, because the rate of single parenting is the most significant predictor of social immobility in the country. I, I'm not taking a lot of time to discuss the article as I'm reading it, because this, for the New York Times, this is unimaginably well written and on the nose. Like I'll, I'll, I will give more thoughts as we go, but like for right now, I'm just reading because if you're watching the video and reading along with me or have the article pulled up and like you're reading it as well, like I'm, I'm not leaving. This is, this thing is very, very well done. Um, and all, everything that it's talking about is like, it is capturing the, the essence of the 2016 Trump moment and 2020 got muddled because of COVID and, and everything else. And, Trump got a little bit too big for his britches in, in a lot of ways. But it didn't change the fact that all of this existed in 2016, and all of this exists still today in 2023 and will exist in 2024. And this is what makes this is what makes the upcoming election an interesting one because it's it's almost like 2020 kind of didn't happen. Like we're gonna we're skipping back to We're skipping back to the narrative of 2016. Does this mean that I think the people in my class are vicious and evil? No, most of us are earnest, kind, and public-spirited. I don't know about all that. But we take for granted and benefit from systems that have become oppressive. Elite institutions have become so politically progressive in part because the people in them want to feel good about themselves as they take part in systems that exclude and reject. And this is one of those things that we talked about or that has been talked about uh, ad nauseum with like the progressive push to get rid of Aunt Jemima, get rid of Uncle Ben, take the Indian lady off of the butter. I think they do all of these things. And it marginalizes the people that they think that they're supporting. This, these ideas of wokeness and progressivism come from 
these liberal elites who will never actually have any positive or negative uh, influence on their life from these decisions that they make for how they change social norms and the way things are done. Like the, the part above that talked about, you know, that you, you don't know what might what they might have changed that you could say five years ago and now it'll get you fired. I think they're they are above re, reproach for these things. And so they can just do whatever they want without without worrying about it. And they don't care how it affects the people in the middle and lower classes because it doesn't affect them. They can virtue signal that they're doing a good thing for society and, and sincerely probably even think that they are doing a good thing for society, but they can't see the forest for the trees. They can't see the whole picture because they're so focused on what makes me feel gratified in this exact moment. And then they move on to that next moment. It's easy to understand why people in less educated classes would conclude that they are under an economic, political, cultural, and moral assault and why they've rallied around Trump as their best warrior against the educated class. He understood that it's not the entrepreneurs who seem most threatening to workers. It's the professional class. Trump understood that there was great demand for a leader who would stick his thumb in our eyes on a daily basis and reject the whole epistemic regime that we wrote in on. If distrustful populism is your basic worldview, the Trump indictments seem like just another skirmish in the class war between the professionals and the workers, another assault by a bunch of coastal lawyers who want to take down the man who most aggressively stands up to them. Of course, the indictments don't cause Trump supporters to abandon him. They cause them to become more fiercely loyal. That's the polling story of the last six months. Are Trump supporters right that the indictments are just political, a political witch hunt? Of course not. Of course, actually they are. I mean, this is where we'll, we will start to disagree. <laughs> are Trump supporters right that the indictments are just a political war witch hunt? Of course not. As a card-carrying member of my class, I still basically trust the legal system and the neutral arbiters of justice. Trump is a monster in the way we've all been saying for years and deserves to go to prison. All of that is... All of that perfectly encapsulates the disconnect. How is Trump a monster? What has Trump done? Not a fucking thing. He hasn't been convicted of anything. He hasn't. The only lawsuit that he lost, they didn't actually convict him of anything. They they determined that he didn't do anything, but they still made him pay the woman, whatever the uh, Bitch Juice McCunnyface. I can't remember what her name was. The one that's like on record having lied multiple times. And still, they found that, she, that Trump didn't do anything, but they still made him pay. And that's going to get appealed. And ultimately, he's probably not going to pay her anything. Uh, she's continued. To, she is her worst enemy. She is her own worst enemy. She keeps going on TV and talking. And the more she talks, the more she contradicts her own story and makes herself come across as unbelievable. Trump's not some monster. He's done literally nothing. Mean words. That's it. That's what's monstrous about him. Uh, are Trump supporters right that the indictments are just a political witch hunt? Yes. Yes, because there's been absolutely no substance to any of the indictments. Like they'll talk about how he's been indicted 90 something times. But if you go in and you look at the indictments, it's the exact same thing being reapplied 
37 times in a row like just copy paste there's it's it is a witch hunt as a card carrying member of my class i still basically trust the legal system and the natural arbiters of justice that's because you've never had to deal with the legal system you've never actually seen the way it works in the real world and the way that it is targeted towards people of the middle and lower class to be unfair and to take advantage of them You've never had to go to court for anything more than a traffic ticket, probably. And I would be willing to bet you've never even done that. Probably just send in your send in your bill because or sent in a check and forgot about it. Because for you, if for some reason your insurance company doesn't send in your insurance card, then just take care of it later and send you another fine and you'll pay that and forget about it. Whereas, you know, for somebody like me, I get to spend six years and nine different court appearances running around trying to figure out why the fuck I don't have a valid driver's license. The justice system, the legal system is not, the legal system is not a neutral arbiter of justice. It is designed to fuck us over. That's it. And that's another disconnect here. Is that you 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 did so good for all of this article up to this point. But then you show why it is that you don't understand, don't truly understand what's going on here. Because you still you still believe that this system is meant for good. When this system, as you pointed out already, is only meant for good for you, not for everybody. There's a larger context here. As the sociologist E. Digby uh, Baltzell wrote decades ago, history is a graveyard of classes which have preferred caste privileges to leadership. That is the destiny of our, cl our class is now flirting with. We can condemn the Trumpian populists until the cows come home, but the real question is, when will we stop behaving in ways that make Trumpism inevitable? And the answer to that question is never. If we haven't seen enough of it in South America and Europe, the answer is never. They will never stop doing these things until they finally push the working class, the middle class, to the point that it's going to lead to revolution. There, there's going to be a revolt. At least there are a handful of people that are smart enough to see that, hey, like, it's me, I'm the problem. But then when the question is brought up, how do we fix it? Their only solution is, well, we just need to do more of the th things that we've already been doing and, and hope for the, some different outcome. It's the elite educated class are the fucking midwits of society. They have all of this intelligence but absolutely not a goddamn lick of common sense. And that's what the working class, the middle class, the lower class looks at and sees. And like, these are not smart people. These may be educated people, but they are not smart people. Smart people don't do this sort of shit. And so that's why you're seeing Hispanics and black males, the working class by and large, flocking flocking to Trump. It's going to get interesting. 
and it's it's I have an idea of how I think 2024 will go and really I really want to see what happens after that because that's when I think it starts to get I think that's when it starts to get hairy that'll do it for today I'll be back on uh Wednesday with a uh with a CNN article that kind of comes at it from a different approach on this side they think that uh, they're they're uh, acknowledging that the progressive class may in fact be the enemy may in fact be the bad guys and the ones who are getting things wrong uh on Wednesday we're going to check out and see how CNN doubles down on why conservatives are actually the bad guys so we'll have fun with that one I will see you then before you go, make sure you check out our great sponsor, Agorist Acres. Now, agoristacres.com, you can find over 100 varieties of seeds. They've got vegetables, flowers, all kinds of stuff. They've got heritage brands, everything that you want to start any kind of garden that you need. It's free shipping on any order of $20 or more. They've got cool packaging, and most of the seeds come in a fancy glass vial, no paper envelopes. They accept U.S. dollars and crypto and can easily take either at checkout. Now be sure to head over to agoristacres.com and anything that you get, use the promo code FCT at checkout for 10% off your order. I say all the time that you need to be starting your own garden, you need to be growing your own food, you need to be getting off the grid and becoming less dependent on grocery stores and stuff like that. Agorist Acres is a great first start. They have got everything you need for whatever kind of garden you want. Great people, great product highly recommend. So go check them out.